week I've said that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus actually asks people 308 questions. Uh, 308 questions. Well, we know that Jesus didn't need information, so the reason behind his questions I've suggested each week is that Jesus asked questions because he knew that there were critical realities that we tend not to be aware of, and yet they're critical to, it, to us, and there are critical concerns that we tend not to be concerned about. So Jesus asked questions to elevate our attention to these things, these realities we need to be concerned with, and to then factor them into our life, into our worldview, the way that we evaluate life and so on. Now the question today, it, uh, it might seem a bit obvious, but the question is this, why are we so afraid? Jesus asked that question. We'll see the context in just a minute. Now as we sit here today, we can probably think of an entire assortment, just many, many reasons to be afraid. I mean, first of all, we're frail, we're fragile, we're vulnerable. We live in a dangerous world. Evil exists. Things happen each and every day to individuals and to families that, that we would wish would not happen. So there's, there's lots of reasons we would say to be afraid. And by the way, some fear is appropriate. It, it's a protective mechanism that God has given to us during this age in which he is allowing evil to exist. Now, he promises he's going to abolish it forever, but for now, he's allowing it to express itself here's just some common things in a recent list now you can find these lists all over the place and they change you can find different things and different ones but here, here's a recent top 10 list of fears that people have uh, of a loved one dying a loved one becoming seriously ill mass shootings this is a modern day kind of a thing uh, not having enough for retirement terrorism government corruption becoming terminally ill ourselves hate crimes high medical bills and widespread civil unrest now perhaps some of these fears are yours but the likelihood is you would have some that are unique to you because of your past experience and so forth that was not on this list but but we all have them and I want to say again some fear it's a God-given mechanism to protect us because we do live in an age of evil and so some fears are appropriate but not all fears are appropriate so let's look at the context now where Jesus asked this question. Mark chapter 4, this is about in the second year, toward the end of the second year of Jesus' three and a half year ministry. He says, that day when evening had come, Jesus had been ministering to masses of people. His disciples had already seen in his first two years Jesus do multiple miracles, even raise someone back to life from the dead. That day when evening had come, Yeshua, that just means Jesus, said to them, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with them. A furious windstorm arose, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was close to being swamped. But he was in the stern on a cushion, what? Asleep. It's gone. They woke him, and they said to him, Rabbi, which just means teacher, Rabbi, doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be killed? He awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind subsided, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Seems obvious. It was a serious storm. These were experienced seamen. They had been through lots of storms, but evidently this one was of a sort that they thought their lives were really on the line. Anyway, he says to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no, what is the word? trust 
even now. So in Jesus' mind, there was this contrast between their trust in him and their fear that they were experiencing. We'll, we'll get into that much more. But they were terrified, and they asked each other, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? So that's the context for Jesus' question. Why are you so afraid? Now, each of us in here, we have varying degrees and various types of fears. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Occasionally, you meet somebody that says they're absolutely fearless, and perhaps that's true. That's probably because of some kind of brain damage, honestly, because it, <laughs> there's stuff to be afraid of, okay? But there are certain things that we should not fear, particularly if you've made your decision in a world where everybody's following somebody, either ourselves or someone else, but if you've made your decision, all things considered, I'm going to put my trust in this one called Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Savior of the world. I'm putting my trust in him, and I'm going to be his follower. I don't care if anybody else is following. He's won my trust and I am for the rest of my life going to be his follower. If you've made that decision to put your trust in Christ and to be his follower, well, then fear should be looked upon <clears throat> in a different way in your life, my life, our lives, if we're followers of Christ. But, but at the bottom line, the reason for our fear, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Here's the honest-to-goodness reason why we are afraid, why those disciples were afraid then. Here it is. Uncertainty about divine concern and protection it's clear that when the boat was being swamped these guys were just not certain even though they had been with Jesus for two years even though they had seen his power before miraculous powers they just weren't cer certain that he was actually concerned that they were about to be swamped they, they thought perhaps that he didn't care that they were about to be killed they, they say to him they say doesn't it matter doesn't it matter to you teacher that we're about to be killed they were uncertain that, that their life really mattered to Jesus and they were uncertain, or un uncertain whether he would actually protect them and if we're honest we all have differing levels of that kind of a experience within ourselves we're, we're, we're not always certain that what matters to us matters to Christ or if it matters to him, does it matter the way that it matters to us? And, and we're not always sure the degree of protection, actual protection that we can expect from Christ. Uh, that, that's a legitimate reason behind our fears. It may be an embarrassing one. I'm sure it was an embarrassing one for the disciples because Jesus' reaction to them, he, he doesn't exactly show gentleness and compassion. He frankly, he kind of rebukes them. He, he says to them, you know, after all this time, do you still not trust? He, he was saying, you've got to be kidding me. You, you really thought that your life was going to be taken? You, you really trust me that little still? We all have differing degrees of trust in Christ. Even we that have put our trust in him and become his follower, we're all at different levels. We, we can grow. Our trust can grow, and it can stay the same, by the way. <clears throat> but... Jesus kind of rebukes them because they say to him, doesn't it matter to you what's going to happen to us? So <clears throat> that's the real problem. It's uncertainty about divine concern, <clears throat> excuse me, and uncertainty about God's protection. 
Now let's look at some scriptures that are kind of descriptive of this, this feeling that we tend to have as human beings because the truth is told a lot of times in life we just feel like we're on our own we're all alone and we are kind of you know we're just vulnerable we're, we're, it's impossible for us to feel secure all the time let's look at a, a portion of scripture from the book of Habakkuk in this portion of scripture if you read the background uh, the Lord had told Habakkuk that he was going to allow the Babylonians to be his instrument of chastisement of correction to the the kingdom of Judah and Habakkuk can't understand it because the Babylonians were way more evil than what the Israelites were at that particular time but nevertheless Habakkuk says oh Lord how long must I call for help before you listen before you save us from violence why do you make me see such trouble how can you stand to look on such wrongdoing destruction and violence are all around me and there is fighting and quarreling everywhere and I'll bet you there's somebody in here that feels this way even today and some of us have had this experience we feel like how long do I have to call on you these disciples are seeing their boat almost be flooded and Jesus seems to be unconcerned he's asleep he's not bothered in the slightest and some of you you are going through a painful storm in your life and the likelihood is you have felt, if not said, these kind of words. How long? Are you ever going to help me? Are you ever going to come to my rescue? How long do I have to see this trouble? Is it ever going to end? You might be feeling like, how can you stand to look on such wrongdoing? You might be going through a situation where you know you're in the right. You have done nothing to deserve this. It's an interesting thing to think about. These guys that were caught in this storm, they were with Jesus they were in a close intimate relationship with him they couldn't have been any closer they wanted to go where he wanted them to go they wanted to do what he wanted them to do and yet they find themselves engulfed in a storm that's not always the way we feel when we're going through a storm sometimes we wonder you know could God be displeased with me or maybe he's abandoned me or or maybe I don't really matter to him they they actually say that to Jesus doesn't it matter that we're going to die that we're going to be killed Here's another feeling that we sometimes have. The psalmist, he writes in Psalm 142, one, he says, when I look beside me, I see there is no one to help me, no one to protect me, no one, what does it say? Cares for me. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I can almost guarantee that some of us, if not many of us, have felt at times when a certain set of circumstances have hit our life, a certain set of storms, a certain series of hurts or losses that we have felt like we're just completely isolated that, that no one can get inside and know what it feels like to be us going through this particular thing and at times we probably have felt like you know I don't really matter no one really cares about me that's kind of what the disciples were expressing to Jesus which was a remarkable thing when you think about it they had been with him like I said for two years they had seen the love and the compassion and the gentleness and and the sympathy and the empathy that Jesus had for everyone and they were li living closer to him than anyone else and yet they, they have they come to the point where they actually say doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be killed doesn't my life matter to you is the feeling that they had and perhaps some of us in here today because of some stormy set of circumstances that have come upon our life Maybe we're even feeling it right now. We, we feel like I'm sitting here, but no one else in this room 
feels the way I feel. No one else in this room is going through what I'm going through. And I'm not sure that anyone else in this room could ever really understand the feeling of desolation and isolation and and loneliness that I feel as I go through this. It's not an unusual feeling, but it stems from my, your, our uncertainty about how much we matter to God and our uncertainty about how much we can expect Him to do to concretely protect us. Now, if we have those feelings, the storm is going to shake us to our core. But what if we allow God to replace those feelings in us with feelings that are like this? What if we allow Him to replace it with with a certainty about divine concern? In other words, if I were to be absolutely to the core of my being certain that Christ is always concerned about me, would that make a difference when I go through the storm? If I were absolutely certain that he would protect me, would that make a difference as I go through the storm? Let's look at some scripture that kind of amplifies this a bit. In Hebrews 13, here's God speaking to all of us in here. For God has said, I will never what? I'll never fail you, and I will never what? Never abandon you. What, what if we really took that to be true? What if we internalized that? Would that make a difference as we go through the ups and downs of life, and particularly the hard times, the storms, the things we think are going to destroy us? That's what these individuals are saying to Jesus. Jesus, doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be destroyed? Don't you care? What if we took these words from God? Listen, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. I'm completely aware. Jesus was asleep on the boat, and they thought that equal that he was unaware of their circumstances or that he didn't care. And that's not true, but sometimes we feel like that. We feel like, does, it, does the Lord, does God see what I'm going through? Does, it, does he see that I'm hanging by a thread? Does he see that I'm just about at the stage of hopelessness, that I, that I feel like I'm going to be destroyed in some sector of my life? But what if we knew, what if we knew this was true? So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will, what does it say? Have no fear, what can mere people do to me? So the context of the verse is that the storm in this case is, is people, treatment we receive from others. Maybe it's unjust treatment, maybe it's harsh treatment, maybe it's insensitive treatment, maybe it's unloving treatment, maybe it's treatment that that penetrates and hurts us to the core of our soul but if we knew that no matter what anyone else does God is there God cares he's with us he'll never abandon us never forsake us and we can have certainty of that would it change our fear ratio towards circumstances and other people I'm not going to ask for hands in here but some of us just tend to be warriors by nature some of us tend to be more fearful by nature Um, would this modify our worry and fear ratio if we could just really fixate these words God says I'm never going to fail you we we just sang that song he's never failed me yet it says Uh, he'll he'll remain faithful if we could internalize those truths would our fear and our worry ratio be a little bit different I want to talk a little bit about the storms that come because the storms actually have a lot of hidden value I don't like the storms. You won't like the storms. The disciples didn't like the storm. They thought it was going to destroy them. They felt that it was more than they could endure. But here's some truth about the storms. Storms provide 
a spiritual x-ray of our soul's trust level. That's why Jesus said to them, he said, do you still not trust their level of fear and the words that they literally uttered to Jesus about, doesn't it matter to you that we're about to die? In other words, don't you care about us? The storms that hit us in life, they have uh, the dimension of being a spiritual x-ray. They will show you and I the reality of our trust or lack thereof in Christ and they'll show us the degree or maturity of our trust or lack thereof in Christ if we tend to panic if we tend to feel like you know God has forsaken us he's not with us he doesn't care about us it indicates how weak our trust in Christ actually is how little we actually understand about his heart or how much we understand if our trust let me ask you this do, do you think if these guys would have just let Jesus sleep remember in this storm Jesus is asleep do you think if they would have just let him sleep they would have ridden out the storm and still reached their God intended destination how many think that they would have can I see your hands absolutely that's why Jesus was asleep when he told them we're going we're to get into the boat <laughs> we're going to get in the boat and we're going to the other side of the lake he didn't say guys we're going to get in the boat and man I hope like crazy we can make it to the other side I think the chances are good but I'm not sure if we're going to make it or not now he, he just he said hey let's get in the boat let's go to the other side listen your God-given destiny your God-given destination my God-given destiny and destination it is sure unless I tank it unless I back away from trusting Christ unless I back away from becoming obedient to God's word and his will my God-given destiny my God-given destination it's a sure thing just because I don't you know sense Christ's awareness at the level that I would like to sense it it doesn't mean that he's not there remember it says he'll never abandon us he'll never fail us the storms though they give us a good measure of where am I at with my spiritual development how do I react to the storm it gives a, a good picture of my level of actual trust or lack thereof in Christ there's some more benefits that come from the storm storms provide opportunities to develop in other words the storms that come that I don't like that I don't want that you don't like and you don't want they provide these uh, amazing opportunities for quantum leaps in maturity and in spiritual development but they don't come comfortably we have to understand that so, so let's look at four things that storms provide an opportunity for first of all they provide an opportunity for knowledge increased knowledge of Christ the disciples when this thing is finally over they say to him who is this guy that the wind and the waves obey him imagine a raging storm and he speaks quiet be still and it stops dead now they had already seen a lot of miracles like I said even Jesus bringing people back from the dead but nevertheless this was shocking to them when you and I are in the storms as uncomfortable as they may be if we stay faithful to Christ during that time we'll come out of it with new understanding of who Christ is and what his ability is and how he works in our life and how he works in circumstances things that are not obvious things that take time to develop uh, within us and understand knowledge of Christ second thing we'll come out of these storms with greater confidence in Christ they were in a storm that they thought was going to destroy them Jesus stops it instantaneously 
So their confidence in Christ was going to increase dramatically. And Jesus was preparing them for what was coming because, you know, after three and a half years of ministry, he was going to go to the cross so that the full revelation of God's heart for humankind could be revealed and, and the slander of Satan could be broken and trust in Christ could be uh, readily open for, for human beings. But he knew that the disciples, they were going to take on the ministry. They were going to take over the kingdom ministry. They were then told by Jesus, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And Jesus knew that as they sought to take Christ to others. By the way, that's what these guys were doing in the boat. They were taking Christ across the lake to take Christ to others. As we take up that mission of taking Christ to others, seeking to open these mouths that God's given us, and speak to people about the truth about God and the truth about life and the truth about Christ and seek to, to build bridges between human beings and Christ, we're going to face some stormy circumstances. Jesus knew the disciples were going to face lots of resistance. And so he was preparing them now so that they could have confidence. If Jesus can get us through this storm that we thought was going to destroy us, he'll continue to get us through the resistance, the storms, the opposition, the persecution. Uh, the rejection that we sometimes will experience as we try to take Christ to others. Third, these individuals would come out of this storm with a new boldness for Christ. Like I say, they'll, they'll now know, when I seek to go where God wants me to go and do what God wants me to do and take Christ to others, he is with me, he'll never fail me, he'll never forsake me, I don't care how strong the winds blow. I have a confidence that Christ will see me through this circumstance. So they would come out of it, the storm would give them boldness in Christ. And then fourthly this, faithfulness to Christ. You see, once you go through a storm or two, the next storm doesn't affect you as much as the first storm did. You, you become a, a rider on the storm. Some of you know where I'm going with that. Some of you are old enough to remember. <laughs> when you become a rider on the storm, you become unstoppable. You'll serve God in the good times and you'll serve God in the mediocre times and you'll serve God in the worst of seasons. You become an unstoppable, beautiful child and servant of God. But it's only going through the storms that builds up that kind of interior strength. So the storms provide opportunities for growth. Now there's a truth that you have to accept and it's a, it's a truth that we would rather not be so and here it is. God will not protect us, what is the word? From the storms. He won't. God will not protect us from the storms, but he will protect us, what? Through the storms. Storms are not pleasant. The storms come in all shapes and sizes. They may be relational storms. They may be economic storms. Uh, they may be uh, dramatic circumstantial storms. If, for example, if we were living in Nigeria, there's not a week that goes by that human beings that are Christians, that are followers of Christ, there's not a week that goes by that Christians are not killed in Nigeria simply because they are Christians. I'm curious, how many happen to know that, that in Nigeria the death of Christians is pretty much a weekly event? Can I just see your hands? Don't be ashamed. Okay, so a lot of you did know that. But it's, it's remarkable that you know it because our news media is silent about it. And it's not just in Nigeria that this happens, but Nigeria right now is one of the worst places. So there's all kinds of storms, and God is not going to protect us from the storms. You and I, just like these disciples, that were right in the center of God's will. 
They weren't in the storm because God was punishing them or displeased with them. In fact, they were in the storm because God was so pleased with them. They couldn't have been closer to Christ. They could have reached out and touched him. He was right there on the boat. They were living in an intimate relationship with Christ, and they were right in the center of God's will, going where God wanted them to go, doing what God wanted them to do. But the storm still hit, and the storm rattled them to their core. And the storms will tend to rattle you and I to our core as well. But it's okay. That's when we have to say, wait a minute, I know God is with me. He's never going to forsake me. I'll be a rider in the storm. I'll get through this thing. We'll ride this out, and the next storm will not shake me nearly as much. And plus, I know now that storms provide me with opportunities for growth, growth that I wouldn't have in any other way. But we have to remember this. It's not going to protect us from the storms. Christians often think... Let me rephrase that. Those that will call themselves Christians and those that are perhaps maybe new Christians or Christians that haven't grown, they've never really uh, fed themselves on the, the Word of God so that they understand what God tells us to expect in life, will often think that when they go through a storm, God's forsaken us. Uh, they get angry at God. They say, oh, if He loved me, He would never let this happen to me. God, God if He was there and if He cared... He wouldn't let me feel this way. Just like the disciples said, don't you care? Doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be destroyed? And some of us feel that way when the storm hits. You must not do that. The storm is normative. Jesus wanted us as his people to know the storms are going to come. You can be right in the center of God's will. In fact, when you're in the center of God's will <laughs> is when, you, unfortunately, you, you should be expecting of a storm. When you've just had a great spiritual victory of some sort, be expecting a storm uh, that's not an unusual occurrence at all all right let's go on a bit second corinthians we're, we're going to look at another level of this this storm experience that god wants us to understand second corinthians chapter one the apostle paul at this point he had been following jesus for about 22 years he says in our hearts we felt we were under the sentence of death he was in such a storm he thought perhaps he was going to lose his life However, this was, was to get us to rely not on who? Ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He goes on. I want you to focus in on the word rescued. He rescued us from such deadly peril, and he will rescue us. Second usage again. The one in whom we have placed our hope will indeed do what? Continue to rescue us. Now, if you were to read it sometime on your own in 2 Corinthians, this very same book, the 11th chapter, verses 23 through 33, Paul gives a list of some of the things, the storms he had gone through. He had only been a follower of Jesus 22 years. He follows Jesus for another 10 years more. But if you look at that list sometime on your own, look at the list of storms that Paul went through. So he had experience, and what he came to the conclusion was, <clears throat> doesn't matter how bad the storm, God will rescue us. He'll continue to rescue us. He will rescue you. He will rescue me until our mission on earth is done. And that's the kind of confidence he wants us to have. Jesus' amazement at them. Is this where your trust is at? You really think I'd let you be destroyed? You're here on mission with me. Your mission's not completed. My mission's not completed. He wants us to think in this term. I'm going to make a bold statement. You, as a follower of Jesus, are literally indestructible 
until your mission on this planet is done. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. If you live like a fool, you'll die like a fool, okay? God's not going to protect you from that. But if we're living, walking with Christ, building our life on his word, man, you're indestructible. No storm can take you out. God will rescue you. He'll rescue again and again and again and again. And I've experienced so many of these rescues. Uh, like Paul, I can say, I know, I know that this is something we put our confidence in. Now, this rescue principle, <laughs> I, I want to unpack this a bit for you because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. So, the divine rescue principle, truth number one, it doesn't rule out, <laughs> I wish it did, I really wish it did. It doesn't rule out stress, it doesn't rule out pain, and it doesn't rule out loss. Paul said, I thought I was going to die. I, I thought my life on earth had ended. The disciples thought their life was about to end. In other words, they, they had that feeling, I can't do this anymore. It's over for me. I can't take this pain. I can't take this threat. I can't take this pressure. I can't, I can't take this stress, whatever you know, feeling we may have. But they were able to. I'm trying to explain something to you. God will... He absolutely will bring you and I, his beloved children, to the very end of our rope. He will bring us to the place where we are desperate and sh just shattering in pieces and where we literally feel like, I can't do this anymore, I can't take it anymore, so that we will learn to rely not on ourselves but to rely on him the one that raises the dead. He wants us to see that if we get to that place where I have nothing left in the tank, I can't deal with this anymore. This is beyond me. God, I need you to rescue me. You will be shocked and amazed how he comes in and he rescues us. And each time we get rescued, our confidence in Christ grows and our boldness in Christ grows and our unstoppable devotion to Christ will grow. It's the only way, frankly, that our resilience and our spiritual toughness can develop. But it doesn't rule out. You've got to tuck this away. If you're feeling stress, you're feeling pain, and even loss, this doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he's angry at you. It doesn't mean that he's displeased. It means that he's trying to help you develop spiritually in ways that there's no other way around it. I wish there were. So, so it doesn't rule out. The divine rescue principle doesn't rule out these uncomfortable feelings. But then there's this part. It does guarantee it guarantees our survival it guarantees that we are strengthened and it guarantees that we experience stabilization when we go through the storms and God rescues us we get bold we get confident we, we get strong we get stable we're spiritually built up our trust in Christ grows Jesus says to these guys when they say doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be killed Jesus says is this where your trust is at this point? When, our, when, our tru when we go through the storms, our trust grows and we become stable, we become steadfast, we become immovable, always abounding in the, in the work of God. There's no other way to develop those kind of spiritual characteristics. The storms are God's tools to develop that kind of resilience of character. I don't like it, you're not going to like it, but if we stay faithful to God in the storms and we remind ourselves, He's with me, he hasn't, he hasn't abandoned me. I matter to him. He cares. Then we'll, we'll ride the storms out. 
Romans chapter 8, it says, and we know, notice the confidence, we know that God causes everything, not just that we see how this all works sometimes, but he's taking the conglomerate of everything that happens in our lives. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? This is the question the Apostle Paul, again, is asking. Here he goes, his answer. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have, what is the first word? Trouble or calamity or we are persecuted or, wait a minute, man. Come on now. It's getting too, too deep now. God loves me and I'm supposed to feel loved by God when I'm literally perhaps on the edge of starvation? Well, it seems like that's what it's saying. The Apostle Paul acknowledged in Philippians 4 that at times he was without food and clothing and shelter, but he said that I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance through Christ who strengthens me. So God's trying to get us to realistically adjust our expectations. Does it mean he no longer loves us? Because this is what happens to so many. I hear people shaking their fist at God saying, if he loved me, he would never let me experience these things. And he's saying, because I love you, you're likely to experience some of these things. You've you got to make an adjustment in your worldview. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute? or in what's the word danger or threatened with what death no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us now I'm going to read the rest of this verse and then I'm going to pose a question to you am I and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels or demons neither our fears for today or our what worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love now the beginning of that verse it said that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose here's a question I want to pose to you because I know you're sitting there thinking but Randy bad things happen to godly people authentic followers of Christ bad things happen all the time you just told us people are getting killed in Nigeria simply because they're Christians so, so bad things do happen Randy I, I, I know wonderful godly people that come down with terrible diseases and their houses burn down and drunks you know kill them on the highway and they're killed in war I, I mean so Randy I, I know how can that verse say God causes all things to work for good because that's in essence saying, and here's the question I want to pose to you, your opinion. Can anything bad, can anything bad really truly happen to someone that has put their trust in Christ and is his follower? Can it? Think it through. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose can anything bad I'm not saying we won't say it's bad I'm not saying that the average human wouldn't say it's bad uh, you, you say but, but Brandy but look, look, at, look at what happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 7 so here's Stephen this wonderful godly young man he's presenting Christ to as many people as he can 
and suddenly the Jewish religious leaders capture him, persecute him, and then they, they go further. They literally stone him to death. That's bad, Randy. He was not rescued. He was not rescued, Randy. He, he died. He was a young man. He was serving God. He was in the center of God's will. Isn't that bad? Do you recall in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, what Stephen says as he's being stoned? Anybody? He says, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the throne of God. And Stephen goes on and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, those that were stoning him. Was his martyrdom, was his death bad, or was it good? I, I mean, Stephen left a world where evil is present, where love is lacking, where strife and turmoil and resistance to God and the good is a, is a normality, and he entered instantaneously in a world where God's will is done by everyone, where everyone is love-filled, God's love-filled, where circumstances are perfect, where he'll never feel pain or fear or stress or tension of any kind again. He, he, he left this world. Death is leaving this world. But is death bad if you're a Christian? The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, 20 he says, you know, to be, um, to be oh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, he says, to be absent from the Lord, 5, 8, is to be present with God. In Philippians 1, 20 through 20, he says, you know, to leave this life and to be with Christ is far better. Now, I've never seen heaven. You've never seen heaven, so there's an unknown component in between. But God is saying who is there who does see it it says that even if the worst happens it's the greatest rescue of all even death is not bad for the christian it's the rest it's the ultimate rescue so when it says that god rescues us and he will rescue us we have to adjust what that may mean i am convinced i've had to rethink this myself truth be told that nothing bad ultimately bad eternally bad can ever happen to a child of God regardless regardless of what this life dishes out I'm going to close with with a um, illustration that, that I hope will help you every one of us in this room uh, let me rephrase that almost every one of us in this room uh, probably has put our trust in Christ and are his follower so I'm going to assume that all of us in here are followers of Christ even though I know that's not so some of you are just thinking that journey through you haven't yet put your trust in Christ you haven't decided to follow him but let's just assume that we all are followers of Christ so what I also would know then is that that we all have different levels of experiential trust in Christ some of us may be new some of us might not know the word of God very well there might be a lot of reasons that our trust is weak but we have different levels of trust in Christ we are going to face life storms you cannot escape them I cannot escape them but we're all going to face the storms with a different level of trust all right they, they, they had this weird scale nautical thing uh, called, called the Beaufort scale and it's a wind scale and so like 55 mile an hour to 73 mile an hour winds are scale 10 and 11 for you know like ships at sea 55 to 73 mile an hour winds are disastrous that's ripping boats apart in some cases so let's just assume you and I are going to face that kind of a storm like the disciples faced a storm that was ready to completely tear their boat apart and, and swamp it your level my level of trust in Christ 
will face the storm at sea in one of these three, spiritually speaking, vehicles. Here's the first. Some of us, because our trust in Christ is weak, we're going to face those 55-mile-an-hour to 73-mile-an-hour scale 10 and 11 winds, storms, in a canoe. It's not going to go good. <laughs> Some of us, our trust in Christ is a little, little better. So we face it in one of these bay boats. Not going to go good. 55-mile-an-hour <laughs> winds. No, 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 no. Not going to go good. But if your trust in Christ is rock-solid, and it's growing all the time because you're feeding your soul on the word of God and the fellowship of God's people and you're, you're communicating with God as a normality and everyday occurrence in prayer and so forth. You're growing. Your strength in Christ, your trust in Christ is growing. Then you're going to face the storm like this. <laughs> That's the Gerald Ford class uh, <laughs> aircraft carrier, the largest aircraft carrier in the world, a nuclear-powered thing is phenomenal. The storm will shake it, but it won't break it. <laughs> now, each one of us, we're in a canoe because our trust in Christ is minimal. We're in a bay boat because we have some trust that's at that level. But man, God wants all of us to get to trust in him like this. You know why Jesus reacted the way he did to the disciples? They said to him, let's replay the thing. They said, doesn't it matter to you that we're about to be killed? That's what stabbed the heart of Jesus. For him to come back and say, is this, is this where your trust in me is at? Um, uh, imagine, how many here have children? Can I see your hands? You have children. Uh, imagine your child maybe they're 16 you've raised them nurtured them protected them loved them profusely um, and they go next door to the neighbor and they tell the neighbor they say I don't know what to do I I'm just afraid my mom my dad my mom and dad I I I'm afraid they're, they're going to destroy me they're, they're going to they're going to kill me and the neighbor says what I know your parents that's ridiculous and and the neighbor, nevertheless, being concerned, asks them questions. Have they ever mistreated you? Have they ever threatened you? Have they ever made you feel free? No, no, no. The kid says, no, they've never done any other thing. Have they always provided for you? Yes, they've always provided. Have they always encouraged you? Have they always been loving you? Yes, yes, always been loving. Then why? Why would you feel like you're threatened by them? And then when you hear that, when the news gets back to you that your child told the neighbor that they feel their life is in danger because they're living with you, you would be heartbroken, right? That's why Jesus reacted the way he did. He was like, are you guys kidding me? Do you, do you have any notion how much you mean to me? I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to go to a cross and prove how much you mean to me for all time and all eternity. Do not measure God's love for you based on your circumstances. Measure God's love for you based on Jesus on the cross. That's the measure. That's the rock. Nothing will shake your trust in him if that's your measure of his love. And it is. And it is. He'll rescue you and he'll rescue you again and he'll continue to rescue you until your mission is finished. Like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I've run the race. I have finished the course. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You too 
God wants each of us to run the race, finish the course. He will rescue us and he'll rescue us again and he'll continue to rescue us. Let the wind blow, let the storms rip. You will stand strong and you will be beautiful as your trust in Christ grows and as that trust in Christ transforms you and I to be just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more like him. So, you may be in a storm and if you're not in a storm today, we will be sooner or later. You've got to know he's with you, he's for you, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He loves you beyond what you and I can fully understand. But remember that cross, that's the expression of his love. Always, always, always. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful in a world that often does make us feel absolutely desolate and threatened and vulnerable and alone that we have this rock that you love us, you are for us, you are with us, you'll never forsake us, you will see us through the storms, you will bring us to your heavenly kingdom and we will live and we will rule and we will reign and we will enjoy your love and one another's love forever and ever in a world where evil is absolutely and totally abolished forever. Thank you for these holy certainties. May we, may we be given grace to internalize them and remember them as we go through those inevitable storms. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.